Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you this morning. It's great to sing those songs with you this morning. I love to sing those songs, don't you? Hallelujah. What a Savior. It's good. It's good. I love to sing that song that talks about you took our sin, you bore our shame, you rose to life, you defeated the grave. We celebrate this, do we not? We sing this with a, with a huge smile. We rejoice and we shout about these things. But man, I, I, in the midst of that celebration, I don't want to ever forget that there are people who don't know about this. And, and I think, who, who am I? And why, why am I so lucky to have been raised in a place where the gospel is preached freely? To have been in relationships with people as a child who shared the truth of the gospel with me. Why was I so lucky to be shown so much grace and so much forgiveness and and be given this good news, why am I so lucky when so many people on the planet right now are born and they live and they die and they never hear about this. They, they don't even have a chance to sing about this song. They don't have a chance to sing about this gospel. They don't have a chance to sing, you took our sin, you bore our shame, you rose to life and defeated the grave. They've never even heard about it, right? So, so as much as we should celebrate, and we, we should, uh, today, especially, it should be a day of smiles and rejoicing uh, at the grace we have been shown. But we have been shown grace to show grace. We have been given the gospel to give the gospel. We, we have been, been saved to preach, right? And so this is not all we do. This is only one dimension uh, of the Christian life, to gather together here with the other saints and sing about this good news. The most of our lives, however, is meant to be lived out there amongst the world. A love like this the world has never known. And they will never know unless we tell them. So that's, that's the second part of the day, right? This part of the day we gather together and we rejoice and we celebrate. And the rest of the day and the rest of our lives we spend out there declaring this gospel. Here in Harrisburg, in this room, there are people who reject the gospel. They've heard it and they reject it and we should continue to declare it to them and continue to pray for them. And in the world there are people who've never even heard and we must take the gospel to them. We must at least send the gospel to them, right? You might not be the guy who goes, uh, but you better be the guy that sends, right? Adoniram Judson says, I'll, I'll go down in the well if you'll hold the rope. Maybe you're the guy that holds the rope for those who've gone down into the well. But you're part of the work. One way or another you're part of the work, right? All right, do you have your Bible this morning? Romans chapter 5 is where we are today. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Last week was tough. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's tough to preach. It's tough to hear. It's a difficult concept. The idea of inherited guilt is not something we talk about uh, very often. It's an idea that many of us would label as unfair. Uh, it's certainly un-American, right? As Americans, we are independent. We uh, pay for ourselves. We fend for ourselves. We are completely independent and individualistic. Um, but the Bible doesn't speak like that. The Bible speaks of our corporate identity, speaks of our solidarity, even with Adam. We would say, but it's not fair. It's not fair that I would be counted guilty because of what happened in the garden thousands of years ago with one man and one sin. It's not fair I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. How could I be held accountable for what happened all those many years ago? Well, you may think it's not fair, but God in his word in this text clearly shows us that we all sinned in Adam because we are in Adam. And when we are in Adam, death reigns. 
Remember the three steps we looked at last week in the text. Number one, sin entered the world through a man. That sin came into the world through a man, and then death came into the world through sin, and that death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, this was dark last week. It was, uh, I tried to talk to you about how it's the dark backdrop upon which the diamond of the gospel shines more clearly, seems uh, all the better and more glorious on this dark backdrop. Uh, but it wasn't fun to talk about that. And I want you to know that, that Paul is not obsessed with this darkness. Paul doesn't talk about these things because he enjoys talking about these things. He doesn't say things like, through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He doesn't say those things because he delights in those things. He says those things because he delights in the gospel. He delights in the light of the gospel and wants that to be shown all the more clearly against this dark backdrop. Today, we're going to look at a text that shifts gears dramatically. Uh, we will see the light of the gospel today. We will see the diamond of the gospel. At the end of the text last week, Paul said that Adam was a type of him who was to come. In other words, he was talking about the parallels or the similarities between Adam and Jesus. In that what one did, many were affected by. Adam's one sin affected all of mankind. In the same way, what Jesus has done affects a great many people. Remember talking about that, about federal headship? Well, last week he talked about what they have in common. But I don't want you to think for a second, and Paul doesn't want you to think for a second, and God doesn't want you to think for a second, that because Adam and Christ have some things in common, that they are the same. The text today is going to show us the contrast between Adam and Christ. You're going to notice words like much more or not like. What you're going to see today is that Jesus' gift is either not like Adam's trespass or it is much more effective than Adam's trespass. We're going to see, we're going to be reminded of the dark backdrop and then we're going to see the diamond of the gospel, the light of the gospel, and it's absolutely glorious. So as we read through the text today, Pay attention for words like not like, much more, grace, gift, life. Oh, it's so good. So start in verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through verse 21, but we're going to study closely verse 15, 16, and 17. So pay careful attention when we get there. Listen to God's word. It says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But, this is a good word, right? This is a good word. But, the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died... Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, 
even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we have every reason to celebrate today. Those of us who are in Christ, who have been justified, who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who know your grace and forgiveness, we have every reason to celebrate. And we want you to help us to celebrate. Help us to see the diamond more clearly. Help us to appreciate all the facets and the sparkles and the shining. Help us to see it all the more clearly and help us to celebrate and rejoice and be glad. To sing and shout, to proclaim, help us to do that. And God, I pray for, for those who are not in Christ today, who are in Adam, who are under the reign of death under your condemnation because of sin, the sin they inherited from Adam and the sin that they commit every day. They're under your condemnation. Show them that Christ's work is a better work, is a more powerful work, is the reversing and the setting right of all that Adam broke, all that's broken because of Adam. Show them that Christ, Christ can put back together what is broken, can clean what is dirty, can raise what is dead, God, would you show us that today and change lives forever and ever and ever to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, three, three verses today full of joy and gladness and smiles, right? Did you see it? You see the difference in tone last week? Like I was totally bummed out last week, weren't you? When we, when we think about the world and we think about all of our friends and all of our family, and all these billions, billions of people who have not heard the gospel, who are under Adam's headship, under the reign of death, guilty because of sin, many without hope because they are without the gospel. It's a challenge. But this week is not. This week is the glorious truth of the gospel. So the text starts this week in verse 15 with the word but. I tell you all the time it's my favorite word because everything changes after that word and everything changes in the text today. It is glorious, a shift of gears in the best possible way. I was listening to an old, old preacher. In fact, I'm amazed that we have recordings of this guy. Um, I was listening to him and he kept saying, aren't you thankful we have the second half of this verse? Aren't you thankful we have the second half of this story? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that we know about Zion and not just Sinai? If you were in Sunday school this morning, aren't you thankful that we know about grace and not just justice? Aren't you thankful for the second half of these verses? What's, what's, a, what's a guy on the radio that says, now for the rest of the story? That's the best part of that whole show, isn't it? Everybody wants to know the rest of the story. You're going to get the rest of the story today, and, and you better smile about it. He says, but the free gift is not like the transgression. The free gift is not like the transgression. Each verse that we're going to look at today starts with a simple statement like that, a statement of contrast. The contrast here clearly is between the work of Christ, the free gift, and the work of Adam, the transgression. They are not alike. They have some similarities, um, but man, they have some drastic differences, and it is those differences that we celebrate. What he says here, how he identifies the work of Christ is by saying it's the free gift. And you're going to see that kind of language all throughout this text. He's going to pile on words, especially later on in this verse, to emphasize that what he is talking about when we talk about Christ, 
is a gift that we receive. And, and the emphasis seems to be on the unmerited nature of that gift. We'll say later on that it makes perfect sense that there would be condemnation as a result of transgression. That makes perfect sense, right? That, that when things go wrong, when there is sin, when there is transgression, the natural, normal, expected response to that is judgment and condemnation. What doesn't make any sense is that God's gift of grace in light of many transgressions, what he's going to say later on, is not condemnation. The many transgressions don't lead to more condemnation. The many transgressions are met with justification. A gift of grace is what this justification is, and we don't deserve it, and we've got to remember that. We've got to remember the undeserved nature of the gospel. We will miss the gospel altogether if we think we deserve it. And I fear, I fear that for those of us who are raised in this kind of context where we hear the gospel all the time. We hear this good news, and it's normal to us to hear about God's grace and forgiveness and eternal life. It's normal for us to hear that. I think sometimes we can come to expect God's grace, demand God's grace even. We need to remember that we don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve his forgiveness. What we deserve is his judgment and his wrath and his condemnation, right? It is an amazing thing that he would show us forgiveness and grace, right? One old preacher said, it's a good check of our Christian condition to see how much we rejoice over and delight in the truth of free grace. Does that strike you when we talk about it? When we sing about grace? When we sing about Jesus dying in our place? Are you just blown away by that? Or are you like, yeah, of course, of course that's what he did. That's what I would do for me. I mean, look at me. I am good and smart and handsome. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't die for a guy like me? I think that's the way a lot of the church thinks today. We need to recover this. Oh, woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord. Oh, woe is me. I deserve his judgment and wrath for all of eternity. Oh, woe is me. And you're telling me he'll give me grace? You're telling me he'll cleanse me of my sins? You're telling me he'll fix my life? What? This is crazy. That's, that's more the reaction. We, are you kidding me? Grace? Unmerited favor. It's a glorious thing, right? So he says in this text, the free gift is not like the transgression. And then he reminds us what the transgression was like. This is stuff that we looked at last week. We've established this already. He says, for if by the transgression of the one, many die. I think it's a good exercise to read through this text and watch how often one and many or one and all are put together. This is the idea of federal headship that because of the transgression of the one, and we'll learn later on the one transgression of the one, the many died. Because of the transgression of the one, the many died. And look what he says next. Much more. Much more. If, if you understand the first part, the dark part, the part of Adam and his sin and death spreading to all men because all sinned in Adam. If you understand that and we begin to talk about Jesus in light of that, you've got to start by saying much more. Much more. They're not the same. They're not the same. That's one thing. And this is a better thing. Adam is one thing. Christ is a better thing, right? Adam's work is one thing. Jesus' work is better work. And so it is much more. And one great preacher said, it's not much more in quantity or in quality. He said much more here needs to be understood as much more when it comes to certainty. Listen to his logic. This is fantastic. He says, 
if judgment followed Adam's transgression, and it did, right? If judgment followed Adam's transgression, it is much more certain that God's grace abounded and will abound. Listen to this. Because judgment is not God's ultimate purpose in the universe. Hallelujah for that, right? That judgment is not God's ultimate purpose in the universe. Rather, and this is a major point, the ultimate purpose of God in creating and governing the world the way he does is the display of his abounding grace. That's his ultimate purpose, is not to display judgment, though he will, but to display grace. He goes on and says, not to the exclusion of the display of justice and judgment and wrath, but against the backdrop of judgment and wrath. The display of the glory of his grace is God's ultimate purpose in the world. And here the stress falls on the fact that all of this comes through the one man, Jesus Christ. Like we're thankful for that, are we not? That God's ultimate purpose in the world and what brings him the most glory is not the display of his judgment, though that is one of his purposes and brings him glory, the ultimate display of his purpose. And what brings him the ultimate glory is the abounding of grace to sinners. One preacher, and I'll talk to you about this a little bit later, he said, which is easier, to make something dirty or to make it clean? Which is easier, to bend a piece of metal or make it straight again? It's easy to make a mess, isn't it? It's a different thing to clean it up. It's a more glorious thing to clean it up, and that's what God has done for us in Christ. So look what he says. He says, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace. Do you catch that? Undis gift, grace, gift, grace. Those are all coming from the same root word. Free gift that is received, free gift that is not earned, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. He doesn't just give us just a, a small helping of grace. Are you pumped about Thursday? You know this Thursday is Thanksgiving, right? I'm totally pumped about that. My mom makes the best dressing ever, along with the apple pie. So this is like a two-for-one day in my world to get the best dressing in the world, the best apple pie in the world. It all comes together. Oh, man. I'm looking forward to that day. And I'm not going to ask for just a, can I just have a small helping? Can I just have just a taste of mashed potatoes and just a taste of turkey? I want it to abound. I want it to abound. Overflow is the root of that word. That's what we're talking about, right? Now, I'm not, be careful with this because you don't want to go sinning Thursday. Uh, I should have left that out, but. But God's grace doesn't just come with just this small helping. You know, sometimes, sometimes people need to diet. They need to restrict what they eat. And they need to eat just enough to get by. It's not the way God's grace works. He doesn't just give us enough grace to get by. He gives us abounding, overflowing, immeasurable grace that covers a multitude of sins, right? And if you know that, you smile about it. If you've received the abundance of his grace through the one man, Jesus Christ, you smile a little bit. Because you've got, you've, got you've got more than you deserve. If you have any, you have more than you deserve. But you have more than you even need. Oh, man, it's good, right? It's good. It abounds to the many. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he's going to contrast uh, the results of the actions of these two men. And this is so good. He says, the gift, again, grace, given, received, unmerited. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. 
We've already talked about him a lot, right? The gift through Jesus is not like that. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. This is important for us to see. That the one man and his one sin brought judgment. And that judgment was condemnation. Up to this point, Paul has been using exclusively the word death to describe the result of Adam's sin and what we have inherited from him. He's been using the word death. And so there are some scholars that up to this point would say, oh, what he's referring to here is merely physical death. This is not a spiritual truth that he's talking about. He's just talking about physical death, that the reason why people physically die is because of what happened in the garden, and they're willing to embrace that. But all along, he's been talking about much more than that, right? And he makes it clear in this text that the one man's one sin brought judgment, and the judgment was condemnation. You know what condemnation looks like? It looks like hell. It's what it is. Condemnation for sin is hell and wrath and anger and fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth and a worm that is not satisfied and thirst that is never quenched. That's what condemnation looks like. So catch the logic here. One man, one sin, judgment of condemnation. That's how that whole side of the equation works. But look what it says next. That which came through the one man for, on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But, on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. And this should absolutely blow your mind. Because if it works like this, one man, one sin, condemnation. Well, I know from the text last week that I inherited from Adam his guilt. I inherited from Adam his nature to sin. I'm inclined towards sin. So I'm guilty uh, even before we get started because I've inherited that guilt. But on top of the guilt that I inherited from Adam, I've heaped on a bunch more, have I not? Let me ask it this way. Have you not? <laughs> we're not, we're not going to be so pious to stand here and say, oh, the only sin that is counted to my account is the sin of Adam because I have not committed any myself. No, we've got Adam's sin on our account and a bazillion of our own, right? And so if it works this way, one man, one sin, condemnation, what about millions of men and millions of sin? Wouldn't it be much more condemnation? Yeah, according to the logic of the world and according even to the strictest logic of judgment and justice, that's the way it would work. But thank God for the different arithmetic, one old scholar said of the gospel of grace. Look what he says. He says, on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So here's what he's teaching us. In spite of our guilt in Adam and in spite of our own many sins, we can be justified. In spite of all of this darkness and sin and depravity, we can be justified. Justified means to be declared righteous in the sight of God by God, the judge, and we are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. Clearly, the work of Jesus is superior to the work of Adam because Adam is one man, one sin, and condemnation. Jesus is one man, we have many sins, and the result is justification. Jesus' work is far superior to Adam. Let me read you what some smarter men than I would say about this. One says, God hates sin. God hates sin so much 
that it took only one sin to condemn the entire human race and separate men from him. God hates sin so much that it took one sin, one man, to separate the entire human race from him. But, but, God's love for sinners is greater than his hatred of sin. And he is willing to sacrifice his own son in the place of many sinners so that many sinners who deserve judgment and condemnation could be justified in his sight. It's good, it's good. Another scholar said, said this, our condemnation is an act of justice. And justice meets out equivalence, exactly what is deserved. But our justification is an act of grace. And grace overflows and abounds, giving us 10, 100, 1,000, and infinity of times more than we deserve. Justice meets out exactly what is deserved. In Adam, we get exactly what we deserve. Grace gives what is undeserved and abounds to infinity times more than we deserve, right? In Christ, we are given what we don't deserve, not just not given what we do deserve. One more, two more maybe. This is the best one. That one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. But this is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension. This stuff in Adam makes sense. Transgression, judgment, condemnation. The stuff in Christ does not make sense. Transgression, 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 transgression. Sin, 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 sin. Justification. Because of one man who gave his life on a cross. We have been justified despite our many offenses. Thank God for the abundance of his grace, right? If you have been justified, it is in spite of many transgressions. And some of you might be sitting there and saying, oh, well, I was just seven years old when I got saved. I didn't have many transgressions. Oh, yes, you did. You did. You had plenty. But we have been justified in spite of of our many transgressions. And here's the good news for the rest of you. In spite of your many transgressions, you can be justified today. Today, you walk in this room with many transgressions, not just inherited guilt from Adam, but your own set of transgressions, and you can be justified because of the one man, Jesus Christ. You can be justified despite many offenses, offenses or, or you can pay the penalty yourself for all of eternity God's judgment and condemnation against us look at verse 17 another amazing amazing passage don't don't miss what happens here he says for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one and we see that don't we I mean look, look around this world death reigns doesn't it we've got a whole page of the newspaper dedicated to it every day you can't you can't open the newspaper and not see that death reigns. You can't have relationships with people and not see that death reigns. How many of you know someone who has died in the last few months? Someone close to you has died in the last few months. How many of you know someone close to you who's been sick in the last few months? Had some kind of pain or disaster or accident? Death reigns here. In Adam, death reigned. One old preacher said, this world is a place of cemeteries. You think about that when you drive around this town? That place just continues to grow, doesn't it? Bigger and bigger all the time, and it always will. Because in Adam, death reigned. Look at this text. 
For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more. Here's the rest of the story. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Death reigned in Adam. Oh, something much more happens in Jesus. And what we expect him to say, according to the parallel here, is, okay, in Adam, death reigns. In Christ, life reigns. And that's true. And that's glorious. And if that's the end of the story, that would be enough for us to celebrate, right? But what I want you to see is that the text says something much greater than that. It doesn't just say in Adam, death reigns, and in Christ, life reigns. It says in Adam, death reigns, in Christ, we reign in life. Did you hear me? In Adam, death reigns. In Christ, we reign in life, over death even, because we are in Christ. The triumph of God's grace will not simply replace life with death, but will make us reign in life like kings in the presence of our Father forever and ever. There's another word that I want you to focus on in this, in this verse. It says, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive. Those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Receive is a very important word here. How do we receive this abundance of grace? How do we receive this reigning in life? How do we receive this justification? How do we receive this gift, this grace? How do we receive it? This is easy answer. This is an easy question. How do we receive it? By doing a bunch of good works? By singing in the choir? By playing in the band and teaching a Sunday school class? How do we receive this grace? By faith. By faith. By believing, by trusting, by depending on the one man, Jesus Christ. That's how we receive it. The question is, have you received it? Have you received this gift and this grace by faith in the one man, Jesus Christ? Two applications today. Three, actually. One, if you are in Christ, so this is for the church. It's for those of you who have been saved by God's grace. If you are in Christ, you can live with the utmost confidence in this life. If you are in Christ, you can live with the utmost confidence in this life, based on this text. Why? Because this life that seems so wrecked by sin, so tainted by sin, so messed up by sin, has been overcome by Jesus. That Jesus has undone the work that Adam did. Jesus has set right what Adam broke apart. You can have confidence in this life. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome this world. I've overcome this world, he says. You can have confidence in this life, and you can have confidence for all of eternity. That last part said you will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You will reign in life. You will stand. The text, the text we looked at in Sunday school this morning in Hebrews chapter 12 said, when we get to heaven, when we get to Mount Zion, we will see God the judge. God the judge. And you will stand before that judge in Christ with confidence. Because you will not receive from that judge a judgment of condemnation, but you will have received from that judge justification. He has already declared you righteous and innocent with the righteousness of Christ. He has already declared that for you. And so you can stand before that judge with confidence because of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have confidence in this life and the life to come. 
One preacher said, Adam and Christ are the two most influential individuals in human history. And believers can take confidence because they belong to the one who has overturned all that Adam introduced into this world. The rule over the world that Adam lost is restored in Christ. Jesus is stronger. Jesus is the one who doesn't make a mess, but cleans it up. Jesus is the one who doesn't bend it. He makes it straight. Jesus is the one who restores. He is stronger. The text you looked at in Sunday school said, the blood of Christ speaks a better word. The blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And what I want you to know is the blood of Christ speaks a better word than Adam. The blood of Christ is the best word. Second application. It's not for the church, it's for every one of us. We see in this text that Christ's work covers a multitude of sins. Many transgressions. Many transgressions resulted in or led to or brought justification for the many. I think there are a lot of people here in Harrisburg and many in here today who would say, I've gone too far. I've gone too far to be saved. I'm too dirty to be cleansed. I'm too broken to be made whole. I want you to see that that's not true from this text. Jesus has overcome, abounded, much more abundance. All of these words, right? The gift is not like the transgression. The gift is greater than the transgression. And his grace covers a multitude of sins. He can change you. He can change you forever. Take it from Paul. Here's a guy who was dirty and broken and bad, and God changed him, right? Take it from Paul. Take it from me. I'm a guy who was broken and dirty and bad, and God changed me. Hundreds of others in this room can give the same kind of testimony, right? He can change you today. God's grace is greater than man's sin. God's grace is greater than man's sin. God's grace is greater than your sin. So don't think you're too dirty. Don't think you're too dirty. Come to him and watch him work his work in your life. The last application is this. Boast in Jesus. Boast in Jesus. Look at this. Look at what he's saying here. One man, one sin resulted in condemnation. One man, many sins resulted in justification. Death reigned through the one man in Christ. You will reign in life. Receive that free gift and boast that Jesus is stronger. He's stronger, right? He's better and he deserves he deserves our praise. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for this good news. We want to rejoice over it. We want to live with confidence in this life and in the life to come. We want uh, future hope to impact present struggle, present trial, pain, suffering. We want to boast in Christ. So as we sing in a minute, help us to do that. Help us to boast that what Adam tore up, Christ puts together. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And God, we want to we pray for people in this room, throughout the world, who are in Adam, who are under your condemnation because of sin, sinfulness. Pray that you'll show them that you overcome sin. And your grace abounds richly to all who would believe. God, I pray that I pray that today would change your heart. Help a boy or a girl, a man or a woman to see their sin, to see your judgment, 
see your grace. Help them to know that Christ died for sinners. While they're still sinners, Christ died for them. And God, I pray that the response to the good news will be repentance from sin, turning away from sin, and faith. Trust and dependence on Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Not depending on our own good work or our own righteous living, but on Christ's provision. And upon his death, burial, and resurrection, God, I pray that you'll move in the hearts of people today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.